You're listening to Cross Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift his Thank you again for the black balloons <laughs> and the 50th birthday celebration. When I started here, I was 29 years old. Some of you remember that. It's just a young guy. The story goes that uh, Charlie Terry, who has since passed away, was on the minister hiring committee, and um, he was talking with one of my references, one of my professors in, in school, and uh, said, you know, Kevin looks like a really good candidate for the preaching job here at Summit View, um, but we have one concern about him. He's, uh, he's pretty young. And uh, my uh, professor replied, he is, that's true, but he'll get over it. <laughs> and I've been working on that ever since. It's such a pleasure to be with you today to study God's Word and a pleasure to be with you uh, week after week and year after year to study God's Word together and to help each other grow uh, in the Lord together. I'm glad to be with you here in person, those of you with us online as well. Larry Calvin is a longtime minister and a marriage and family therapist in one of our sister churches in Texas. I believe he's retired now, but in the mid-90s, he wrote a book called The Power Zone. And in his book, he says, you won't believe this story, but I promise you it really happened. Only once, but once was enough. An energetic husband arrived at my counseling office with his wife. As she sat down, he approached me, handed me a sheet of paper, and said, here's what's wrong with her, Doc. Fix her. And with that, he turned and walked out the door and left his wife in my office to be repaired. Huh, I wonder what was wrong in that marriage. <laughs> Calvin doesn't go on to say what happened with the, with the, the rest of that story with that couple. I, I kind of wonder, but it's pretty obvious what the husband thought was the problem in the marriage. And I think we can make an educated guess about what the wife thought was the problem in that marriage. You know, psychologists and philosophers and just wise people across the ages have pointed out to us that we human beings have a tendency to see the best in ourselves and the worst in others. We tend to justify our own mistakes but condemn others for theirs. I ran the red light because the kids were distracting me. You ran the red light because you're a bad driver. If you're into politics, you've probably noticed that a person who supports one party will be able to tell you in detail what's wrong with the other party, but if you point out the same faults in their party, they can't see it or they dismiss it as being unimportant. If Dr. Calvin were to get that husband to come back into the counseling office and sit down and Dr. Calvin asked him, now tell me, what is one way that, that you may have contributed to the strife in your marriage? I think that husband might be stumped. He might be confused by the question. What do you mean? I contributed to the problems in my marriage. How could that be? He might even be offended. The scripture de describes this problem in Proverbs 16, verse 2. 
It says, all a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. You know, I tend to see the best in myself. I tend to think that my motives are pure, that they're good, that I'm doing the right thing for the right reasons. But God sees me more accurately than I see myself. And he sees my heart. Jesus gives us a teaching about this issue in his great Sermon on the Mount, which we've been studying out of Matthew chapters 5 through 7. We're coming up uh, toward the end of this series. We're starting chapter 7 today, and we'll finish it and the Sermon on the Mount next Sunday, Lord willing. The opening line of chapter 7, verse 1, has become very famous in our culture today. Jack quoted, quoted it for us earlier. And you, if you've never heard any of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, you've probably heard this line at least, right? Chapter 7, verses one, uh, verse 1, we'll continue down through verse 6 this morning. Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time you, there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. The words of Jesus our Lord. That opening line is well known today. Do not judge. Tell somebody who knows you're a Christian that they're doing wrong, and they may say to you, Jesus said not to judge. At which point, they're judging you for judging them, right? But they're right. Jesus said, don't judge. They're right. As long as they don't keep reading the rest of what Jesus says here. Actually, what Jesus teaches here is a conundrum. It's an oxymoron. It's a contradiction. First, he says, do not judge. But then by verse 6, he's saying you need to discern who's a dog and who's a pig so that you don't give them what's sacred or throw them your pearls. Well, that requires judging. So which is it, Jesus? Are we to judge or not? And I think Jesus would say, yes, that's the point exactly. Because Jesus, like our God throughout Scripture, sometimes gives us seemingly contradictory statements in order to prompt us to think deeply about what at first seems like a simple question, but in reality is not simple at all. Should we judge? Well, it's not as easy a question as it sounds like. An example of such a contradiction from the book of Proverbs. My favorite contradiction in the Bible. Back-to-back verses. Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. Verse 4 says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. So if somebody's talking stupid, and you're feeling like, I need to step in and shut this person up, don't do it. You'll end up sounding just like them. Don't answer a fool according to his folly. But the very next verse, verse 5, says, Answer a fool 
according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Somebody's talking stupid, you may need to speak up because they think they're, you know, really big, smart, wise, and you need to put them in their place. So which is it? In back-to-back verses, Proverbs gives us a yes, respond to this person, and a no, don't respond to this person. Which is it? Do you respond to the fool or do you not? Well, it's both, right? It depends on the situation. There's a time to answer the fool, and there's a time to keep quiet. The point of these Proverbs coming back to back is that you have to discern in a given situation which response is best. It's the same here. Which is it, Jesus? Are we to judge others or not? Well, it depends. It depends on the situation, and it depends on how you go about it, as Jack mentioned a minute ago. So Jesus says in verses 1 and 2, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So at the very least, Jesus is saying, don't be quick to judge others. Because you don't want them, or especially God, to judge you. And we know that God will judge us according to the way we judge others. Because Jesus says so here. But also, he said in chapter 6, verses 14 and 15 that we looked at a few weeks ago, that if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't, he won't. And so that matches very nicely with what Jesus says here. If we judge other people harshly, God may judge us harshly. And if we judge others too quickly, God may hold us accountable for that through the way he judges us. And we know God will judge every person when Jesus comes again. So we should at least be hesitant to be critical of others or to condemn them because we don't want God to be critical of us or to condemn us. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus gives this illustration in verses 3 to 5. He says, if your brother has a speck of sawdust in his eye, why do you focus on that? And, and ignore the, the plank in your own eye. You know, Jesus' father was a carpenter, and we have some indication in Scripture that Jesus himself was a carpenter too, probably learned it from dad, right? So he, you imagine he got specks of sawdust in his eye from time to time. I don't know if he ever got a plank stuck in his eye. I hope not. Jesus says, you know, how, how can you tell your brother, here, let me get that speck out of your eye when the whole time you have a plank Sticking out of your own eye. I wish we could have heard Jesus say this in person. Because I bet it came across as really funny. The imagery of the plank in your eye. And as you're trying to get the speck out of your brother's eye, you're swinging this plank around. And he's ducking away so that he doesn't get hit by the plank. This is hypocrisy. You have a double standard for yourself and for your brother. He's not allowed to have a speck in his eye. But you let yourself have a plank And so Jesus says, first, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, notice what the problem here is not. The problem is not that you're judging your brother in the sense that you've identified that he has a speck in his eye and it needs to come out. That's not the problem. That you've found, that you've judged your brother and found a sin in his life. The problem is that you've judged your brother, but not yourself. 
Your sin is worse than his, but you can't see it. You've come into the counselor's office with a list of all your spouse's faults, but you can't see your own. What's the solution here? The solution is not that you would just always refrain from taking the speck out of your brother's eye. No, we need each other to help us see the sins in our lives and and get rid of them. But the solution is humility. The humility to address our own faults before we turn and try to address the next person's faults. Humbly take care of your own issues first. Judge others the way you would want to be judged. As Jesus will say in Matthew 7 verse 12, we'll look at that next week, do to others what you would have them do to you. In this case, judge them the way you would want to be judged. I wonder what that husband might have done differently if he had listened to this teaching from Jesus before he went into the counselor's office with a list of all his wife's faults. You know, maybe he would have come in with a list of his faults too and given them both to the counselor. Or maybe he just would have skipped the list of his wife's faults, just written his down, brought him into the counselor and said, here you go, help me. Of course, if that had been his approach from the beginning, then probably he and his wife wouldn't have needed counseling in the first place. Right? This is an important lesson for those of us in church leadership. And not just people with titles, but all of us who have influence in the lives of, of others. Before we can help others overcome sin in their lives, we need to let God help us overcome sin in our lives. And when we do help others overcome sin in their lives, we, we need to do so with great humility and gentleness because we know how much we need the kindness and gentleness of God ourselves. My friends, part of the wonder of the work that God is doing in our lives is that he is taking us with all of our specks and planks, with all of our flaws, all of our baggage, all of our histories, and he is purifying and refining us for his service. He is training us to be humble so that as he pulls those planks out of our eyes, he is equipping us to humbly, graciously, mercifully, and with great sensitivity help others get the specks or the planks or the sticks or the shards out of their eyes. And so as we grow in humility about our own sinfulness and brokenness and how much we need God, and we couple that with tremendous appreciation for the blood of Jesus that brings us forgiveness for all of that, God equips us then to do for others what he has done for us. He equips us to help others come to him to be healed and to be forgiven. So Jesus' point is not that we must never judge others in the sense of evaluating their condition, but that we must judge them carefully, accurately, mercifully, whenever possible, just the way that we would want God to judge us. And we must always be as honest about ourselves and our own faults as we are about others and their faults. Now, as Jesus' illustration about the planks and the specks demonstrates, there is a time for us to judge others. 
People need help getting the sin out of their lives. But we can judge in a way that is gracious and helpful instead of harsh and condemning. But we do need to judge. Jesus will say in chapter 7, verses 15 and 16, that some people are false prophets, wolves in sheep's clothing, and we need to be able to recognize them. He will say in verses 21 to 23 that there are some people who claim to be true disciples of our Lord, but are not. We need to be able to judge, to discern, to use Jack's word, to evaluate who is a false prophet or a false disciple and who is not. And having figured that out, we need to then act appropriately. Here Jesus says in verse 6, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Jesus is saying here that some people are dogs or pigs in the sense that they will not value what you give them. They will not value what is sacred or precious. So in Jesus' time, if you're a Jew who offers an animal sacrifice to God and then receives back your share of the sacred meal to eat, because that's how the sacrifices usually worked, most sacrifices, you would get some of the meat back uh, to, to eat together with maybe your household. But it would be sacred meat. You would eat it in the presence of God, a sacred moment. If you receive back some of that sacred meat to eat, don't feed it to the dogs. First, Dogs are unclean animals for Jews, and it's not appropriate to defile what God has made sacred by giving it to unclean animals. And second, the dogs don't care that the meat is sacred. You ever seen a dog eat a steak? (laughs) They don't care if that's choice Angus beef. They don't care if you pay $20 a pound for it. The dog gets it, and it's gone in 10 seconds. And then they look up at you and want more. If you have beautiful pearls, give those to your wife or to your daughter or to your mother or to your mother-in-law. Don't give them to the pigs. The pigs will sniff them, decide they're not food, trample them in the mud as they turn around and come after you looking for something edible. Some people are dogs or pigs in the sense that they will not value what is precious to you or to God. Jesus wants his followers to be wise about how we deal with people like that. Don't give them what they're just going to waste or what they won't appreciate. Now, I don't think that Jesus is saying here that we shouldn't be more generous to people than they deserve. He's already told us that God causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. He helps people who are not appreciative. And there's a time to to do that, to help those who don't appreciate what you're giving. But if you want to help a person and they won't appreciate what, what you're giving them, there's a time when it's better to go help someone else who will. And Jesus tells his apostles in Matthew 10, verse 14, if you go to a home or a town to proclaim the kingdom of heaven and the people there won't welcome you or listen to you, don't stay. Shake the dust off your feet and leave. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. Don't waste your time there. So followers of Jesus have to judge sometimes. Not to condemn, but to discern what a person needs, what the right thing to do is, how best to use the resources that God has given us. And so how we judge matters. In the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, 
it will be measured to you. How do you want God to judge you? Be as kind to others as you want God to be to you. This cannot mean that we overlook sin in another person's life. If they have a speck in their eye, they need help getting that out. If you just ignore it, that's not going to help that person get right with God. But we can help a person with their sin if we've already dealt with our own. And because God has has helped us, we will have the humility to help others mercifully, graciously. But, someone might ask, isn't there a time to be harsh with others? Don't people need the hammer to be brought down sometimes? And wasn't Jesus pretty harsh with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in Matthew 23, for example? Didn't he call them hypocrites six times? Didn't he also call them blind guides twice? Didn't he also call them snakes and a brood of vipers? Isn't there a time to be harsh? Well, Jesus did do that. But he's Jesus, and we're not. He knows when is the right time to do that better than we do. So we need to be very careful about taking that approach. And Jesus was most harsh with people who brought shame on the kingdom of God by claiming to be holy, but living in sin, often setting a bad example for others, just like the guy with the plank in his eye who's trying to take the speck out of the other person's eye. And so Jesus is actually warning us not to be that kind of person. We probably do need to be more strict with leaders who claim to be holy but who do harm to the church by their sin. Leaders are held to a higher level of accountability, right? But even then, always, like Jesus, we should work not with the goal of condemning them but with the goal of protecting the faithful and the goal of always hoping to bring the sinner back to God. How we judge others matters. Maybe to to close up this lesson, we could summarize Jesus' teaching here this way, in, in four points. One, don't judge if you don't have to. At least don't be quick to judge others. You wouldn't want God to be quick to judge you. I think that's what Jesus means when he says, do not judge or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, so God will judge you. Number two, when you do have to judge, judge carefully, accurately, and mercifully whenever possible. You would want God to judge you accurately and mercifully. Number three, when you judge another person, or when you simply try to help another person overcome some sin, be humble. Be humble. Each of us has our faults. We all have specks, planks, something in our eyes. Don't be the person who wants to take the speck of sawdust out of your brother's eye, but who knows, ignores the plank in your own eye. Get that plank out first, and then help your brother. Number four, followers of Jesus do need to develop the skill of judging in the sense of evaluating or discerning, not condemning but accurately identifying who is a true disciple of Jesus or not, who is a false prophet and who is not, who will receive and appreciate what is sacred, the gospel message, the church's love, and so on, who will uh, receive and appreciate what is valuable, our generosity, our time, the message of God's kingdom, 
We need to not waste what God has given us on people who won't value it. But at the same time, we need to be as kind to others as God has been to us. Jesus, in this teaching, sounds at first like he's contradicting himself, but he speaks that way on purpose in order to guide us to find the balance between judging and not judging, that place where we judge in the right way for the right reasons in a way that helps us identify sin and that humbly helps us help each other walk with God. Maybe that husband really did accurately identify some faults in his wife. Maybe he was exactly right in everything he wrote down, but he needed to deal with some faults in his own life first. And then he would be open to God working to healing that marriage. If we can judge both ourselves and others more the way Jesus taught us to, both accurately and compassionately and not too quickly, we will open ourselves to the healing that only God, our good Father, can give and that he longs to give to his children. And so now that you have heard the word of Jesus our Lord this morning, may God bless you as we go out and put it into practice this week. Let's pray together. Our dear Father, we thank you so much that, as Jack read for us earlier from John three seventeen, that when you sent Jesus our Lord, your son, into the world, he did not come to condemn the world, though he had authority to do so, but he came to save the world. We thank you, dear God, for Jesus our Lord, for his kindness to us. We thank you that rather than condemning us as, as we deserved, he gave his life for us to pay for our sins and to bring us to you. And Lord, because you have been so kind to us, we want to uh, show you our gratitude by uh, following in the steps of Jesus and being kind to others, judging them properly, accurately, and mercifully, just as we pray that you will also judge us accurately and mercifully. Lord, help us not to, um, not to condemn, because that's not our place, uh, but to evaluate and discern with wisdom. Help us, dear Lord, uh, to always uh, act with humility and always seek to honor you in everything we do. And we pray that you would instill in our hearts more and more the spirit of Jesus our Lord, his attitude and his character, that we may uh, put it into practice and demonstrate it to the people around us by the way we live. Help us with that this week, dear Lord, that we may walk with you and truly be your children. In Jesus' name, amen.